0: Bonjour, live sparklers, it's Claire. Welcome on the Integrally Alive podcast and thanks for listening. Here we explore stories, wisdom and tools for shifting from resistance and stress to resilience and living the life you choose. My guest today worked as an air traffic controller for 20 years and is a master life coach and emotional intelligence and mindfulness facilitator. He wrote a book called The Price of Heartbreak inspired from what he calls his year from hell and that year was also the beginning of a new chapter in his life where he has learned from experience how getting out of his comfort zone was a key element of growth and becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable most days he developed a method called the aura method a knowledge understand responsibility and action that helps people struggle emotionally and today he is committed to sharing his journey of growth with others to inspire and connect so you can find him on rick-sharp.com but without further ado please welcome rick sharp hello rick
1: thanks claire thanks for having me
0: well i'm really thrilled to have this conversation with you today because so much of what you share is exactly the why i'm doing this podcast so i'm really excited for this conversation
1: yeah i mean it's uh, uh, it's interesting how many of us uh, go through the same stuff but because we're on different journeys that that's the interesting thing about sharing each other's journeys because that sort of resonance with what other people are doing it's it's very helpful because then you realize you're not actually alone when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through
0: oh yeah (laughs) so yeah today we will talk about depression heartbreak relationships emotional intelligence vulnerability storytelling and a lot more. So let's dive in. And we will talk about the importance of sharing our stories later in this interview, but first we could maybe begin by your story, The Price of the Heartbreak. So what was the starting point of this adventure for writing a book and studying emotional intelligence and in relationships?
1: Well, it, for my particular experience, it is actually quite interesting because uh, I was having a, a conversation with somebody at an event last summer and she made a comment about you accidentally wrote a book and it was never, it, no, but seriously, it was never supposed to be a book. Mm, was. Yeah. Um, I was involved in a a four-year relationship, I think for the first time in my life that I was very heavily emotionally invested in. And, um, and I didn't expect that to ever end, but it did. And, 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 and this is what happens, you know, life is all about change. So it, when it did end, it really hit me very, very hard in a lot of ways I never expected. So this was new for me, and the only way I could keep myself grounded in any way, shape, or form was to write down what I was thinking, write down what was going through my head, mm-hmm. because uh, I was having a lot of difficulty sleeping, and you know, when your mind races, there's just there's just no rest for it. And that leads to other things, but I started just writing what was in my, what was in my mind and how I was feeling. But I was doing it in such a way that it was very, I don't know, graphic maybe um, and intense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I uh, I was sharing some of it with a friend of mine, and a close friend of mine, and she said, "Wow, like this is really good stuff, and you know, you should do more of it." So. I guess in the, in the first instance I did it for myself and uh and that really helped the healing process so um somebody asked me once well how many books are you going to sell and I said I don't really care you know I really don't it yes. wasn't about that in the beginning and eventually I I did uh decide to make that leap because and it was a leap because I'm a very, well, I was a very private person. So what you're doing is you're per, putting a very personal part of your life out there for the world to see and to read, mm. which was um, a very scary. And then when I think about it, it's still a scary thing. So, but I did it. And um, some of the feedback was uh, very good in the sense that people resonated with what I was thinking. they asked themselves different questions about what they were doing in their life. And so that was kind of the... Uh, kind of the icing on the cake, I think. Yeah.
0: So when and why did you begin journaling?
1: Well, I did it uh, literally a couple of weeks after the relationship uh, came to an end, and that was, a mu- that was a mutual understanding agreement that we did that, although 24 hours later, I realized it was the stupidest thing that I did up to that point in <laughs> my life. Since then, that's changed as well, but, um, and that was about uh, three and a half years ago. Um, I think it was in August 2015. So, and it was, and I'm not, I wasn't a journaler. Like, I I wasn't one of those people that journaled all the time. I know people that do that on a daily basis. And it's just something that, like I said, I had to get out of my head. And then it just took on a life of its own. So I ended up with, um, um, and it took more than a few months because there was a transformation going on there. And the the thing I was encouraged about journaling and the thing that I would encourage other people to journal is that you have a historical path in writing that you're actually going through. So that when I reflected back on what I was journaling or what I was writing about on a particular given moment, and I look back on, for example, how I was writing and what I was feeling six months earlier, I could actually see... A tangible uh, growth experience unfolding because I wasn't in that same place anymore and I realized that I was moving along this journey that I was taking and uh, it was a good uh, measuring stick I guess to where I had been and then where I was at that point and that was enough motivation and encouragement for myself to keep on doing it to be honest
0: yeah yeah actually I'm, I'm jumping a bit in between subjects but I know um, a difficult moment is to recognize what we are going through sometimes, even before beginning the healing process, but just acknowledging, okay, this is going on in my life and I'm happy with it. And, and a lot of people struggle with that in the first place, so they can never go on to the healing, actually. So was, was the journaling helping you to get to this clarity of, okay, this is going on and maybe getting uh, yeah, well, uh, inspirational on what to do or how to react from that?
1: yeah it was the first step and um, I think it was that started in August and I think it was October about a couple of months later when I had some encouragement from some friends to keep doing it uh, with the end result being that it it could benefit other people obviously but I went to uh, Bali for three weeks to um, finish this quote unquote book uh, and when I got there, I, I, I wrote for about four or five days. And then I, um, I Googled vulnerability, hmm. because uh, we men, we, we suck at vulnerability, like we really do. And um, I, I came across the name of Brene Brown, and she had just written her third book. And I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. So for the rest of the time I was there, I read all three of her books, Okay. interestingly enough. So that was kind of the next step because I realized I was kind of the, from my own generation, um, the poster boy for vulnerability and the fear of. And that was a huge eye-opening experience for me. So that was one of those things where you have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and and, and truly accept where you are. Um, And... And for some people, myself included, that was a scary thing to do. So, and in, and in in order to, I mean, you talked, you mentioned aura earlier. So, in in order to uh, accept where I was, I had to understand how I got there. Yes. And that part was the journey
0: mm-hmm. for me
1: because I had to go back into my past. Not so much, you know, the, the relationship I was in, but I had to go back into my past from a personal perspective you know back to when i was a kid and growing up and you know the the previous experiences i had as an adult with with relationships and you you go to some scary dark places because there's lots of times in our lives i mean when things happen in your life you just kind of ignore them you bury them you you don't acknowledge them and and there that's for a number of different reasons where you know you were probably weren't mature enough to or you didn't want to and you played the blame game and blamed other people for what happened in your life. But when you sort of peel all that back, almost like an onion in the center, it's always you. It's always you that's there.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um, and I still get a little bit emotional talking about it, but some of those realizations about, you know, things that happened in my life and people that were in my life uh, and left, um, that that was a that was a hard pill to swallow, but it was a necessary one to do that because mm-hmm. once I did that, now I was in a position to really take responsibility for my own life. Yeah. And I think a lot of people um, try to put that off on other people. You know, I blame this. This happened because of this person or this situation or because of uh, various other things that they that they experienced. And again, I go back to the the core reality that. You're still the central person in all of those things.
0: <laughs> yeah, the main denominator yeah, in every of uh, your stories. Exactly,
1: yes. and you know people don't want to accept that; uh, they mm-hmm. want to run from that, which is fine. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just it's just what it is. And um, for me, uh, I had to I had to take that responsibility, and and finally, you know, going through those three phases, and a lot of people do. The one piece that was most important. And the one piece that I think people take half heartedly is you had to take action, you had to change you had to realize that something had to change now, how to do that um, and I went through a, a various number of things to to actually get to know what I was dealing with and that was and, and the first step was taking uh, a life coach natural life coach training to which includes nlp and, and these types of things so mm-hmm. That kind of started a journey that was more a thirst for knowledge. And sometimes my dad used to tell me, like, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah. So um, that triggered uh, probably a year and a half process. And I'm still doing it, to be honest. Um, One thing led to, uh, I I thought, okay, well let's check out emotional intelligence. I love Daniel Goldman. I read uh, I read his book on emotional intelligence, which led me to a course on emotional intelligence, which interestingly, the last half of that course was all around mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Big fan of mindfulness. And it really helped me move through that second part of what I call that kind of healing
0: journey. So yeah, so, right, because you mentioned three phases, but what are they? I got lost in that.
1: Okay, the first one was I had to uh, uh, accept that where I was was not acceptable for me. It was uh, it was negative, it was uh, damaging, and you look at yourself in the mirror uh, and you, you need to tell yourself, like, this has to change because it was spiraling and it was still going downhill, and yeah. that's kind of where I was in that kind of depression phase. And sometimes people that are in depression, they don't even realize it. They don't, you know, they're just uh, sort of it's going through that. negative yeah. They're going through that flow, and they don 't have that answer they don't put a name on it yeah and it's just basically life sucks every day i don 't want to get out of bed, and this yeah. is kind of my this is my lot in life and it you know and people don't have to accept that, so that was that part, and I did accept that you know I needed to change that mm-hmm. so this and the second one was basically okay, that that's great. That acceptance is great. But then you have to understand, okay, how did I get here? That was a second one. And that was a real soul searching journey in itself. And then the third one was, okay, I get that. I know why I'm here. Now I have to accept responsibility. Stop blaming other people for my life and for my woes in life. And the fourth one was like, okay, now what am I going to do about it? I need to do something. About it. Yeah. Take action. And, 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 there's so much learning from that and when you start down that journey which I did with this coaching sort of exercise which led me to emotional intelligence which led me to mindfulness and that just keeps going because the more you learn the more you want to learn and I think I'm on my third mindfulness course at the moment and then you start to be able then you start piecing things together because there's a thread Mm -hmm. you know and I did a lot of Joe Dispenza work and they, they're ta- A lot of people are talking about the same stuff. The same stuff comes up. And you get to a point where you start cross-referencing everything and it really starts to sink in. And you, you just wake up. Now, I don't think you wake up one day, but then you start getting this realization that, wow, all the stuff these people are talking about, it really works. Like it really does. And it leads to a much... Healthier grounded experience on a day to day basis if you if you go down that road and, and, and make that choice to say, "I want to know about this stuff, I want to know about this stuff because I need to know how the brain works, how the body works how how everything affects you physiologically and uh, you know and, and there 's a saying out there where stress can kill you, and that is so true in so many ways once you understand the science behind it but um,
0: it is. No, it totally is.
1: It's and it's a and and Claire, it's it's a lifetime journey.
0: Mm-mm. It's a
1: journey that you embark on for the rest of your life. Yeah. But that's how it. That's basically how it started.
0: Yeah. But what is funny is, first, when we face this journey and we feel like this will be a, a lifetime journey, first it's like a spell. Oh my God, it will never end. But then it becomes yeah. a lifestyle, and it's so great because I. I mean, I, I'm totally. Uh, Taking it for myself i'm learning all the time and i'm I, I know i will be better tomorrow than today and so on and it's now it's it's exciting it's not daunting anymore so um yeah yeah
1: me, uh, somebody said some of the paths that i've crossed like somebody pa- said that uh my whole goal in life is to present a better version of myself mm-hmm. tomorrow than i did today yeah Which is empowering, and what's empowering also is that when you make those all those acceptances and you say you do have a choice, it is up to you, and every morning you have that choice. Some days, and the thing is around mindfulness is that you have to be very forgiving as well, not so judgmental. We're gonna have our bad days, and that's okay. You wake up in the morning and you just can't, you know, get your stuff together, and Mm -hmm. it's okay. Tomorrow presents another you know another chance to to get it right so we have to be very i was going to say forgiving but i think it's i think more to the point it's more loving of ourselves yeah. if that makes sense
0: yeah 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 kind it's the one rule i have i have only one rule in my classes and then uh, training it's be kind to yourself i've got many oh, yeah. directions i'm i'm coaching and guiding mm-hmm. people with but the only rule yeah. that they, they cannot do any yeah. Uh, Otherwise, is be kind to yourself because we are so, for some reason, it's so easy for us to be nasty with ourselves more than kind. We would never do these things to other people.
1: It's 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 easier because we always remember the bad things, not so Mm -hmm. much the good things. Um, I was uh, doing. In one
0: way, maybe it makes it easier to um, to stay stuck. Like it gives us a um, an excuse to yeah. not to change. It's a bit harsh oh, what I'm saying, but yeah, I, think I, I think sometimes we can get stuck in the story of yeah. being nasty to yourself and making excuses yeah. in the end. Whereas facing, okay, I've, it, it sucked, I've been, I've done that, but I can forgive myself for doing that. Then we can move on. But it's so difficult sometimes to acknowledge that. Yeah,
1: I mean, people find it so difficult to be kind to themselves. Mm. and I, I, I really haven't put my finger on that. I mean, even when you, um, you know, for example, you, you give a gift to somebody and they say, oh, you shouldn't have. Like, well, why shouldn't I have done that? Yeah. You know, they find it difficult to accept uh, compliments,
0: Mm-mm.
1: you know, and it's it's all part of that loving. And you don't have to be egotistical to accept the compliments. And so, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it was really nice of you to say that. But people seem to, oh, you shouldn't have said that. You know, like, well, why not? You know, and that's why that whole kind of self-love thing, um, is important and especially for men actually because
0: yeah
1: we really suck at that but and it's not it's not a you know and that self-love thing it could be as simple as uh okay you know what I'm going to start going to the gym or I'm going to start eating correctly and more healthy and and that's something you're doing for yourself that's part of self-love it doesn't mean that um, you know, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I love you, I love you, I love you." And that men, you, you bring that up with a man, he's going to go the other way. But you know, and it's very simple things that you can do. That is still categorically self-love, if that makes sense.
0: Totally. And then, how do you how do you uh, make the difference between love for ourselves and self-complacency in some way? Because you were saying, for example, some some mornings when you are uh, when you are going through depression just feels like I don't want to go out of my bed. And some days you need to be loving to yourself and say, hey, take it easy and so on. And maybe another day, it's, it's just an excuse you're making and you, there is another way to react. So how do you differentiate the two?
1: Oh, yeah, good question. I mean, I think when you're, my experience uh, was that when I was in there, like I really didn't want to get out of bed and there were days that I didn't. Um, okay. And it, it, it does run in cycles, and um, it, it, it was almost like i just roll over and just watch the numbers ticking over on the clock. And then, of course, when the sun went down, that was just an excuse to say, well, I don't have to get out of bed now because it's dark again. Um, and um, that's, that's a huge fight, I mean, even just to get out of bed. And then there was other days where I did get out of bed, and I made it as far as the kitchen. You know, to make a bite to eat, or in front of the TV. Okay, well, that's you know, that's progress in a way that I got out of the bedroom and got to the living room, but I didn't do much beyond that. And you know, there's a a huge role. uh, I mean, people use numbing for different things, and I used it, and I used it from uh, an alcohol perspective, and and I would sit there sometimes in the dark, and I would I would drink. Um, knowing full well that I'm going to a place that's darker. Mm. I'm going to a place that's not going to make any sense. And, uh, and I did it willingly, you know, you know, most people are fairly intelligent and I, and I knew that when I woke up in the morning on the couch, it wouldn't be any better than I was yesterday. Actually, I'd be feeling more terrible physically. And that sort of added to that kind of darkness. Mm -hmm. And, um and some people, depending obviously on their personalities, they, they they can't get away from that and it just it just sucks them down this dark, dark tube and depending on who you have in your life, obviously, at that point I was alone, uh, depending on who you have in your life, uh, family, etc, my family lived 5,000 miles away, etc. so you know th- there's theres can be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, but every now and then i would say okay i need to get out and i was living in dubai at the time so i mean every day is sunny in dubai <laughs> uh, which is great for you and from a personal <laughs> perspective and um and i would still get out of bed and, and like you know, and get dressed and, and and go outside and it would feel good for uh, a day or two and
0: mm.
1: and then uh you know i'll go back and you know thinking i was there was like in a tunnel like having you know, more alcohol, and then I would slip back again. And yeah, and that was a cycle. Um, but you were kind of, it was a cycle where you were kind of getting to the sort of the rim of the hole you were in and not quite getting out of it. Mm-mm. And that was a conscious decision that I had to, uh, I had to really make because there was a couple of friends of mine that were very concerned and expressed that concern. And I realized, wow, like, they're seeing more than I'm seeing because you can get tunnel vision and you do get tunnel yeah. vision. And uh, yeah. yeah, I just woke up one morning, looked at myself in the mirror and it's almost like I was, I didn't recognize that person that I was looking at anymore. And there's something, I mean, we have this deep rooted, uh, most people have this deep rooted thing inside them around survival. And, and I, 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 that just kind of came to the surface and it I have, I had to do something. And and I did, and part of that was, yeah, okay, every day I'm getting out of bed, I'm getting dressed, I'm getting showered, I'm going out the door, and that was a good start because I was making those steps physically to get myself out there, you know. I'm going to go spend time with my friends, I'm going to talk to them, and when I started talking to them, and you know, it, it comes up that, oh, I haven't seen you for a while, what's going on? Because they always ask you, like, you know, how are things, how are they... And then when I started really being honest with a couple, I mean, you don't tell everybody your story. They don't deserve it. But you know, some of my closer friends, I said, well, you know what? It's really sucked these last couple of months, three months, whatever. And then I started telling what I was feeling and and telling how I got there. And and because I was never one to talk about what I felt, um, that was a huge change for me. And the more I did it, the more strength I got and the more motivation I got to talk about it. So, Um, I mean, just being here with you now, I mean, I, I, I share that openly now because the more, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes because there's nobody, there's nobody going to come back at you and say, you're doing something that's not helpful for yourself. A quick example, um, after I wrote the book, it was published. I went out to dinner with some friends and, Mm um, there was a guy that was, he's an airline pilot, you know, it was kind of one of those alpha male environments and air, air traffic control was the same actually. So, and, uh, Oh, I heard you wrote a book. So, well, yeah, yeah, sort of. Well, what was it? And the first thing people say was what was it about? Sure. And as a guy speaking to another guy, I was like fumbling around <laughs> and I just, you know, I just, I was hesitating. I didn't really want to tell him that it was about me expressing my feelings after a breakup. I mean, I just, didn't sound too male-oriented, and and then I just said, "Look, okay, you know what? I just gave up trying to explain it in wishy-washy ways." I said, "Look, you know what? I was in love with this woman um, deeply. Uh, we went our separate ways. Um, it affected me in a way I had never expected, and I went through heartbreak, depression, and I wrote about it and." And through that exercise, I actually found myself on a road to a better place. And he says, yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I've, I've, I've been there. I've done that, you know? Like, and, and that was a whole different conversation. Yeah. So at, at no point did he actually say, ah, you need to grow up. You need to be a man. Suck it up. Get on with it. it that, that never happened. And I realized that more and more men are actually getting to that point where it's okay to talk about what you feel. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that part was really interesting.
0: Yeah. It's something I see and I, and I hear and keep hearing more and more that people are so afraid of speaking out. And that was my, my case as well. Yeah. About yeah. my, uh, um, my story, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my father suicided when I was eight oh. and I was I could feel, you know, when, when you want to empty a room, you yeah. come and you say depression. If it's not enough, you say suicide, and you're sure oh, to have the room for yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. So that was my story of people asking me, oh, and yeah. you know, when you ate, a lot of people ask you what your daddy is, is doing. And if I was uh, answering suicide, the, um, the relationship would change. Yeah. So I kept that story for myself a lot, and I learned yeah. it. it taught me to not to be uh, authentic. So I, I, uh, I was saying it he had an accident, which was kind of true, but not really exactly. Yeah. True.
1: yeah. And yeah.
0: when I finally allowed myself to, to be true to myself, that was such a relief. And we, we fear the, the rejection or the yeah. for, for the others. But, the first who speaks allow all the other ones to to pick up it 's so it 's so dramatic it 's like we are all waiting for someone to understand us, but I, we, we can't we can 't be understood unless we speak right
1: so true um, and i 've been in many situations where sometimes i 'm saying something in a room that everybody is thinking but not saying yes. for whatever fears they have. And that just opens up the floodgates because now everybody can't talk enough. Yeah. You know, you just kind of open that door, and the floodgates are wow, and everybody, yeah, yeah, I know, like, I kind of understand. What you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, su- suicide—that that whole kind of subject is dear to me in the sense that—and uh, my daughter doesn't mind me talking about this because she she believes in raising. Um, awareness on on the subject but uh, Mm -hmm. uh, she was 18 and she was in and I I got a a text message luckily I was back in in North America at the time Mm -hmm. and the text message was basically like um, you're from my ex-wife where you know our daughter is in 72 hour suicide lockdown as a parent wow like that does something to you And I I had to drive 12 hours all through the night to get to where she was and uh, by myself at night um, drinking cheap gas station coffee just to stay awake. (laughs) There was no way I was going to fall asleep because I had this kind of mission to get to where she was. And during that drive as a human being, you wonder, like, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I sense that coming? Like, why didn't I... Do something better, or how did I fail? And all these things go through your head. But the interesting thing, if you talk to people that uh, know close friends or family members, and and I realized that you were eight, but and it had I had a, a personal friend of mine. It happened uh, three years ago as well in the UK. And when you talk to the people that are closest to those that that go through with this kind of um, this kind of deal. Um, they had no clue. Yeah, we're, we're so good at hiding how yeah. we feel and the torment. And and I tell people when you mentioned about being kind, uh, you have no idea what other people uh, what other people's stories are. And if you get on the subway and you're on the way, for example, into Metro London, and I can guarantee you that nine times nine people out of ten standing around you is going through something. You know, and if they cut you off getting onto the train. For whatever reason, you know, we get upset with them, and you know, it's better to be kind and allow them that because you have no idea what's happening in their life, and nor will you. And uh, but if you kind of spread that kindness, that 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 could make a huge difference in somebody's day, and in their life. You, you have no idea. Well, a perfect stranger is kind to you, and you know, twenty four hours earlier, you were thinking about uh, you know letting all this go and for good. Um, and that just might make the difference in somebody's life, much less their day. And I think that's a, a very powerful uh, message for people to be kind on a regular basis to each other, because we get caught up in automatic and our own strife and our own confusion and depression and, and, and stress. And we forget that you know there's 7 billion people on this planet. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. But... You talk a lot about because um, okay, this is a universal uh, stuff. We all hide our stories yep. and we fear sure. to, of being rejected and yep. so on. But there is something specific with men. It's not it's not easy for anyone to share our feelings and so. But it seems to be even more complicated for men because the society builds up these expectations of.
1: Society. Oh, absolutely. I mean you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, we have these expectations, especially in my generation where Mm. a man needs to be this, a man needs to be that. They write songs about it. Big men don't cry. Um, You know, and when you're growing up, your father was always, one again, passing along that kind of mindset, uh, you fall down, scrape your knee. And it was, you know, Mm. come on, you know, suck it up, get on with it, you know, get back on your bike and go And And it's ingrained. It, It wires, it very hard wires into your brain. And then when we, get into relationships and uh, because we've been kind of pigeonholed in being that tough guy and uh, we're the provider and the mentor and uh, we're the guardian and uh, the protector and all these things. And it's overwhelming uh, Mm. having been there. It It was one of those things where I was married before and that it contributed to that relationship ending as well. Um, and when we get to that point, now all of a sudden, because of society's expectations and sometimes our spouse's expectations because of what society has passed on, we, we don't want to um, talk about anything that will make us vulnerable and any less of the man that the person married. So mm-hmm. you have people that, uh, for example, you know, they lose their job, for example, and now they're not the provider anymore. That's that's a huge thing for men,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the sense that I I am very much less of a man than I was, and I'm now. And they internalize it. They don't talk about it. They won't talk yeah. about it amongst themselves. And when they do that, they get to a point where I can't do this anymore. Like I and and they and they do take their life. And I was interesting. I wrote an article for a magazine in Australia all around depression and and men and how they handle it or don't handle it. And uh, I was quoting UK statistics where I can't remember the exact number, like in the UK, there's X number of suicides per year. And I think that it was like 73.6% for men. And then I went and I quoted to, and somebody suggested that, well, if you're writing an article for an Australian magazine, why not, "Quote Australian statistics because nobody cares what happens in the UK." So I, I looked it up, and it was within like point three. It was like seventy three point three instead of yeah, seventy three. It was almost exactly the same, which was really scary because you know men have difficulty, and it's getting better. Like there are people that are coming out, and in the sense that they're expressing their uh, their mental wellness challenges, uh, which is good and. Um, And that's kind of, uh, the awareness is starting to spread because of all that. And which is good because men hide it, hide it so easily. And they don't want to, like, uh, they don't want to step away from that stigma that, uh, society has put on men in general. Uh, Brene Brown in her book, uh, one of her books, she talked about, she was signing a book signing and just to illustrate that example. And, uh, it was a a man and his wife and his two daughters, and they came up. The two daughters and the wife had the book signed, and they as they were walking away, he was still standing in front of her, and mm. she got kind of nervous, and she said, "Like, can I help you?" He says, "Yeah." Says, "I I really do understand about uh, shame and vulnerability, and because uh, we men uh, we live with that every day," and she said, "Oh," I said, and he said he asked her. Where do you get your research? He says, well, I interview women. And he says, well, that's convenient. And she felt really, really uncomfortable. And then he mm-hmm. finished off the conversation by saying, see that woman over there with those two girls? They would rather see me die on my white horse than watch me fall off. Mm. And that was a very powerful message because there's so many men <clears throat> that are in that situation where... They try to, and men have habitually try to figure things out before they want to talk about it, and we never do. So we never end up talking about it, and that's why there's a lot of relationships that are actually struggled because of that.
0: Yeah, it's so there's so many ways we could go from from, but there's so many stuff in uh, that. I was while we were talking, I was actually wondering how much. Oh, because this is in part this is a construction from the society we live in. So mm-hmm. how much we as female get trapped into that as well, into yes. expectations that then we put upon our partners. But in the first yeah. place, we maybe we wouldn't if we weren't taught that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, first of all, there's awareness. I mean. Mm people have to talk. It's, it's about communication and, yeah. and yeah. men, men talk a different language than, than women. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Mm. Um, and the, the uh, what's his name? Gray wrote a book, men are from Venus and, uh, yes, or I... women are from Venus, men are from mm. Mars. And then some divine being decided to put us all on the same planet and just watch what happens. <laughs> um, and you hear it often that, you know, they say, well, women, we, we we don't understand you men and, and men say exactly the same thing. And I think it's just an awareness that needs to be, uh, cultivated. Um, uh, and I think one of those things is how you actually engage a conversation. And I always use the example of something's happened and, and, uh, one of the other is, is, is upset. Usually the woman's upset because you know, when he gets home, uh, say he's late He says, you always do this. You never do this. And you, and right off the bat, all he wants to do is defend himself. No, 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 no. Wait, no. I, I did this last week and I did, and I was on time the last two weeks. It, it's not about that because as soon as he gets defensive and I've been in that situation before myself personally, the, there's no communication. Nobody's listening to anybody, yeah. you know, and then it's just a, a bun fight back and forth. Whereas if the opening statement was, you know, y- you're late today, this made me feel like this. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, that's a great thing place for us to be. Now, right off the bat, I'm not being defensive. I'm saying, yeah, you know what, maybe you're right. You know, and I need to fix this. And so that, you know, we can sort of find a better space for each other. And and I talk about that in the book in the sense that one of the issues that we had was, and I, and I, I call it sort of a, a personal space that you're both in. And sometimes one of the other partner moves out of that space they got one foot out for whatever reason, mm-hmm. so when that one foot one, when that one foot steps out, we're smart human beings we know we know what's going on, and sometimes there's a fear to bring up that conversation because sometimes you're afraid of what the answer is really going to be but you know, most of the time we like to see both or both ourselves inside that space. And then every now and then one or the other person moves outside of that. And that's when the conversation needs to take place to pull that person back in for whatever those reasons are. When you find yourself out, both of yourselves outside of that space, that's when it gets really, really difficult because that's where the, for me personally, I mean, that's when the disconnect yeah. started, you know, yeah. so, um, i mean in the end it's it's all about communication and loving communication and it's okay to be upset it's okay to be mad as long as you come back you can just engage at that point and as long as you come back to that conversation after the heart rate settles down because you know you can get emotionally hijacked as they say you know and and then you're really not even listening to what you're saying you just want to hurt the other person verbally emotionally and uh and when that happens, we don't forget that stuff. We always remember, like the hurt, the bad stuff, and that gets hardwired as well. So it's yeah, it's about yeah. it's about communication. That's uh, uh, open, uh, understanding, uh, and uh, that creates a higher awareness of, of where you are as an individual. Because I'm starting to ramble here now, but uh, like we all we all bring different experiences uh, life experiences into a relationship and when we get into a relationship initially we're very loving the honeymoon period and we never ask those questions like you know what does what does money mean to you what does intimacy mean to you Like, you know we don't ask those questions to really understand what that person is about and then when these petty little things happen and we get angry we we don't understand the anger Behind what's being said, we don't understand the history because that history was never brought. It's brought forward on an emotional level, but it's never talked about. It. So you know, couples could give themselves a huge uh, benefit by having those conversations in the beginning, and that way you really understand that person a lot more in the sense of you know where those emotional uh, uh, sort of challenges come from. And I think that's really important. I think we wait too long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then it becomes a big conversation. People talk about difficult conversations all the time. And I don't agree, actually, because it's it's an uncomfortable discussion, maybe. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But it's not difficult. Actually, not having the conversation makes things more difficult. I agree
1: with you. But me as a man, I thought it was better not to have that conversation because I didn't want to go there. I did not want to be uncomfortable. (laughs) That was a huge thing for me. Yeah. And... Like you yeah. mentioned earlier, to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, well, that, that's a huge step because now, now mm-hmm. you're in a situation where, you know what, I, I, I don't, I don't want to ask this question because I'm afraid of what the answer is going to be. Uh, maybe she's not in love with me anymore. Like, I don't want to know that. I'd rather live in misery with this person than actually open up that can of worms. Like, I was that guy. So, uh, yeah, going, going into those uncomfortable places is, is, is very important. Very important.
0: So that is the end of this episode for today. We'll meet Rick next week for the second half of the interview. For now, you can find him on rick-sharp.com. That is R-A-C-K-S-H-A-R-P-E.com. You can find his book on Amazon, The Price of Heartbreak, And you can find him on Facebook as well, Rick Sharp Author. And of course, as usual, you can find all the links in the show notes for this episode on the website, integrallyalive.com. So I'm so grateful to Rick to have this conversation. You guys, I'm sure, want to hear the second half. And it was a very, very good conversation we had. I'm so grateful for him to, to have done that. So for now... Go on the uh, website, Equally Alive, for the show notes. Subscribe to the podcast and rate it on iTunes. You will have more people get access to this information. Till next time. And until then, keep sparking life and going from alive-ish to alive. Bye-bye.